Go ahead and uh, turn to Ephesians chapter 4, all right? We're going to be reading from our copy of scriptures here. Ephesians 4, 17 through 32. We're in the back half of Ephesians 4 here. Paul, remember, is turning into some very, very practical realities about what it means to be in Christ. And this is what we have in front of us here. Uh, P.S., it is good to see your face. Uh, just so you know, rest assured, you don't measure up to a camera, all right? It's just staring at a camera for the past three and a half months. Um, it just does not equate to being able to see the faces of, of God's people um, staring back. So it's so good to be able to see you guys, okay? So again, copy of Scripture, turn it on, turn it up, Ephesians 4, 17 through 32. Our brother in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul, was carried along by the Holy Spirit And this is what he wrote to the church in Ephesus, starting in verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous, And have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we are going to get into Ephesians 4, 17 through 32 this morning, okay? Uh, Just a little message here for the kiddos that are among us. As you're sitting here listening with mommy and daddy, um, maybe you've got some pieces of paper and stuff that you can draw on. What I want you to know is that there are some word pictures that are going to be in uh, these verses that we just read. A word picture is a word that gives us and brings a picture into our minds. And what you're going to find out is that the Apostle Paul is talking about how we might be clothed with dirty things like sin and we need to take them off and put on Christ. 
as little kids, you probably have had dirty clothes, got dirty playing outside, and you had to go take those dirty clothes off and put on clean clothes. So maybe as you're sitting here listening to Pastor John this morning, one of the things you can draw are just you playing outside. Maybe draw some pictures of what it looks like for you to play outside. Maybe draw some pictures of you getting dirty outside, okay? So maybe that will be a way that you can help be connected to what, what our text is saying this morning. And just as a way of reminder to you parents that have uh, little children, little children noises are welcome and they are wanted. We understand it is okay if they are moving around, if they're shifting, if they're talking a little bit. Nobody is upset and you should not feel awkward or anxious about that. You are welcome and wanted and your children are absolutely welcome and wanted here, okay? So for the note takers among us, sermon title this morning is called The Walk of Purity. The walk of purity, and the main idea comes down to this. A healthy church grows in maturity as it walks in purity. Last week we talked about how a healthy church grows in maturity as it walks in unity. Now Paul is going to circle back around and tell us how this walk of maturity also looks like purity, okay? So I'm going to pray for us, then we're going to dive into our text. Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you would move in power and that you would move in might. Man, my mind and my heart is so captured by Luke 24, where the two disciples walking with Jesus on the road to Emmaus, as Jesus unpacks how all the scriptures center on him, man, I'm so captured by their response. When they look at one another, probably their their minds blown, their eyes bugging out, their mouths dropped, and when their their response to all of it was, man, did not our hearts burn within us as Jesus revealed how the whole shooting match was all about him, how it was all about him. So God, I pray that we too would experience the same by the power of the Holy Spirit that we too would walk away this morning saying, did not our hearts burn within us as the word of God was exposed, as the Holy Spirit empowered and our hearts and our minds were radically changed as we caught the beautiful glimpse of Christ our Savior. It's in Jesus' name that I ask these things. Amen. Well, if you know Johnny Cash, if you're a friend um, or a fan of Johnny Cash, then you will have heard of this, this hit song of his called I Walk the Line. Super famous song by him. The story behind that song, I Walk the Line, goes that he wrote the lyrics backstage soon after he got married to June Carter. And what he wrote was this, since you've been mine, I walk the line. Oh, I admit I'm a fool for you. Since you've been mine, I walk the line. So when we turn from Johnny Cash and we turn to the Apostle Paul this morning, what we can say is that something similar is going on in Ephesians chapter 4. Now that the saints in Ephesus are in Christ Jesus, they too are to walk the line. They're not only to walk in unity, but they're also to walk in purity. This is what Paul meant there in verse 17 when he told the Ephesians, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Now remember that the church in Ephesus was largely from a Gentile background. At one time, the walk of their lives, the talk of their lives 
reflected this reality. It reflected this reality in a godless pursuit of impurity. Impurity is what largely marked their heart, marked their minds, marked their walk, marked their talk. But, Paul says, this way that you used to walk and talk, it was reflective of how you used to live before Christ. Now that you have been saved, Paul is saying, saved by grace through faith in Christ, you must no longer live like you used to live as a non-Christian. There in verse 17, Paul testifies to this in the Lord, he says. And what he's doing when he says he testifies to this in the Lord, he's saying that as an apostle who's been authorized by Jesus to speak on behalf of Jesus to the Jesus people, Paul is not making some mere suggestion. Ah, purity, if you want to run after it, go for it. There might be some Christians who don't want to run after it, don't go for it. You know, it's just sort of a give and take. He's saying, no, 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 this is like a command from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. The walk of purity is what people are to be about if those people are in Christ. In other words, the command to walk in purity is not optional. It's not optional. It's the common walk that we must all walk as Jesus people who have been saved by grace. You see, one of the best gifts that we can give to the fellow members of the local church to which we belong is the gift of Christ-like purity. And Paul is going to get to this thought here in a few verses when he talks about the way we have learned Christ. He's going to turn our attention to the Lord Jesus Christ as the example and the way that we are meant to walk out this walk of purity. But before he does so, before he turns to Jesus and the way that we walk in Christ, Paul is first going to talk about how the Ephesian Gentiles once lived according to the way of sin. So verses 17 through 19, Paul talks about the way of sin, the walk of sin. And notice how in these verses, Paul adopts the language of the mind. It's all about the language of the mind. They were futile in their minds, he says. Darkened in their understanding, that's mind language. Ignorant, that's mind language. Ignorant to the life God gives. Paul says that this futile, ignorant, darkened understanding was due to their hardness of heart. You see, when it comes... And this is important, when it comes to the walk of purity, your mind matters. Your mind matters. The way you live begins with how you think. The fruit of sinful behavior is born from the root of sinful thoughts and sinful desires. With sobering analysis in these verses, what Paul is doing is he's describing what happens when a person walks the walk of sin, when they walk in the way of sin. Notice what he says there. Hardness of heart leads to ignorance, which involves being alienated from the life of God. 
This, he says, then leads to being darkened in understanding, which comes from futile thinking. And what is the result? Verse 19, the result is a dead, calloused heart where all sensitivity to God is lost and it's in its place, people surrender themselves to pleasing their senses, giving themselves up to sensuality. That idea of sensuality, a person who says, I'm going to give myself over to sensuality, means they give themselves over to the pleasing of their senses. Senses, sensuality, you hear the word tied in there. So Paul says the motivation of their heart for doing this, for giving themselves over to sensuality, is actually the heart motivation of greed. That's sort of funny. We don't often talk about greed in the sense of, of, of sensuality. We usually talk about greed, about being greedy for power, being greedy for cash, wealth, being greedy maybe to want to be in charge so I can be in control. But Paul says the heart motivation for them saying, because my heart is not sensitive to God, it's a calloused heart, I am going to do something about my senses though, and I'm going to intentionally pursue self-pleasure, the pleasing of all my senses, and I'm going to do it with abandon. So Paul describes the motivation of the heart as greed. That idea behind greed is an intense, selfish desire. And with intense, selfish desire, Paul says they are greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Not just think about it, but actually take the necessary actions to practice the impurity. So, for instance, take, take alcohol. When booze is your king and drunkenness is your god... You will greedily pursue the satisfaction of your senses. The smell of alcohol. Smell. Man, I've got to have, I've got to have something there. The taste of it. I've got to have the taste. And it drives you to pursue that as your goal, as your, as your God. The buzz of drunkenness in the mind. All of these will lead you to callously ignore God's better way because you are driven by the pursuit of selfish desire. So God says, and he's going to say here in a little bit, do not, Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Hearts that are callous to God say, I don't want to be filled with Spirit, I want to be filled with alcohol. And I want to be drunk, I'm driven by my senses. I want the taste, I want the smell, I want the touch. I want the, the buzz of the mind. And so with full senses going towards this thing, you run hard after that. Or, for instance, if alcohol, you're like, okay, maybe that's not it. Think about this, sex. When lust is your love and sexual desire is your Lord to which you bow, you will order your life to satisfy your senses with sex, no matter the good boundaries set in place by good God. Man, hello anybody who's gone to college, university, right, in the undergrad, I remember interacting with people who grew up in church, were taught the things of Christ, they had some level of God sensitivity, but they go to college, and what is the bulk of the college life? It's like, hey man, run after the full pleasure of the five senses. Go for it. And so what you'd find is this inner turmoil among people who had sort of that lingering God sensitivity of, 
I'm not supposed to be having sex outside of marriage. But all my friends are saying, I, this is a good thing, run after it. And so what do they do in order to not feel that inner turmoil and to feel that inner tension? Their hearts become calloused to a God sensitivity so that they can freely, happily run after the full pleasure of their senses with whatever it might be. Paul is saying this is what used to describe the Ephesians before their life in Christ. Now, you read these verses and you're like, man, like this is sort of heavy. Like this is describing the general ebb and flow, the tenor and tone of a life apart from Christ. But here's the good news about these three verses. The good news in this passage is that our living God loves to transform calloused hearts. Loves to transform calloused hearts. He loves to transform calloused hearts by his grace. You see, we have a Savior who loves to save those who are trapped in sensuality. On the cross, Jesus paid the ransom price to free sinners from the slave master of sensuality when he redeemed us through his blood, Paul tells us back in Ephesians 1 verse 7. So the question you can ask yourself is this, do I recognize myself in these three verses, 17, 18, and 19? Do I recognize myself in these three verses? Am I doing... What Paul tells me not to do, am I walking as the Gentiles do? You see, for some of us this morning, if we were to ask ourselves, do I recognize myself in these verses, am I walking as the Gentiles do, we would have to say, yes, this is true of me. And why is it true of me? It's because Ephesians 1 through 3 is not true of me. Remember, before Paul gets to all these practical how to walk as a Christian He spent three chapters banging away on the deeps of the gospel of grace found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And some of us would have to say, man, verses 17, 18, 19 describe me because I have not been saved by grace through faith. Friends, this morning the good news is you can be saved by grace by calling on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, some of us might also say, yes, these verses describe me because they are describing your ongoing battle against the sin nature that remains in you where you're like man i struggle with some of these things whether you are in part of the yes because ephesians 1 through 3 doesn't describe you or whether you're part of the no i've been saved by grace but man this is a pretty accurate description of the battle in which i walk every day listen either way your hope right now is to go to jesus your hope right now is to confess your sin to Jesus. Jesus, the one in whom we have the forgiveness of our sin. Go to Jesus. Bank everything on the promise of 1 John chapter 1 verse 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if this describes the way of sin, these verses, Paul now turns to describe the way of Christ. The way of Christ, verses 20 through 24. Again, notice how Paul is holding on to the language of the mind. Look at verses 20 to 21. But that is not the way you learned Christ. That's mind language. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him that's mind language as the truth is in jesus that's mind language 
So notice that the walk of purity is defined as the way you learned Christ. This is sort of an unusual way to talk, but in saying the Ephesians have learned Christ, Paul is just simply saying, guys, you've truly come to know Jesus in a, in a real living relationship. They haven't just learned truths about Jesus. They've learned Jesus himself. Paul assumes they have heard about Christ. Paul assumes they have been taught Christ. Paul assumes they know the truth that is in Jesus. So the question then is, if they have learned Christ, if they have been taught Christ, what have they been taught? Remember, don't lose sight of the big argument here. He's simply saying, guys, what does it look like to practically live out what you truly are in Christ? He's now getting into the nitty-gritty of it. He's saying, listen, I taught you three things to do in order to walk the walk of purity. What are those three things? Put off, be renewed, put on. Those are the three things. He said, I, I taught this to you guys. This is how we learned Christ. Paul says those three truths were to put off your old self, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self. This is simple imagery that every single one of us right now can grasp because of we've gotten our shirts dirty before, we had to take them off, we were to be renewed, we went and got washed up in the shower, and then what did you do? You came out, you didn't go put the old stuff back on, you put on something new. It's just that imagery that Paul is now pulling into the spiritual world and saying, guys, this is what the walk of purity looks like. Like toddlers who have to be taught how to take off dirty clothes and put on clean clothes, we have to learn the same. Only we are learning to put off the old self. Notice how he describes the old self. Which belongs to our former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And we are learning to do something else, he says. Learning to put on the new self. How do you describe the new self? The new self is, listen, you've been created after the likeness in God and true righteousness and holiness. Friends, this put off, put on, this is the process of growing in holiness. Put off, put on, put off, put on. Displace, replace. Displace, replace. This is the way of growing up in Jesus. This is the walk of purity known as sanctification. You hang around in the in church world long enough, someone like me will toss around the word, word sanctification. It's the $2 theological word. It sounds fancy, but what it just means is this. Growing up and walking and talking and thinking and living like Jesus. In the process of growing in that. You see, we put off the old self and we put on the new self as we are strengthened by the power of the Spirit to do so. You go into Romans chapter 8, verse 13, and Paul says as much when he says listen if you live according to the flesh you will die but if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body you will live so this verse is teaching us that the walk of purity is a both and endeavor both and endeavor so you might be asking yourself okay so how do i walk in purity 
Or you might be asking yourself, how do I grow in holiness? I want to. Jesus has saved me. I want to grow in holiness. There might be just some lingering sins that are constantly pulling you, trying to tempt. How do I fight that sin and not give in to that sin? Paul says it is both by the power of the Spirit and as you put to death that sin which lingers. Both and. Listen, friends. There is no room for lazy sanctification in the walk of purity. No room for lazy sanctification. If we've adopted the mindset that sanctification looks like this, I can just kick back like on a spiritual hammock, roll up my feet, put my hands behind my head, and just assume that 10 years from now, I'm going to magically be more holy than I was 10 years before, and I haven't lifted a single finger to do something, Paul would say that's not quite how sanctification works. It's by the power of the Spirit which empowers you to fight sin, and it's as you fight sin, you recognize, Ephesians 3, I need to be strengthened by the power of the Spirit. It's that both and combination of growing in holiness, and that's because either sin will be killing us or we will be killing sin, and we don't want to be killed by sin. And so Paul says, listen, put to death the deeds of the body by the power of the Spirit. Notice that crucial to the walk of purity is a transformed mind. You see that there in verse 23? Be renewed in the spirit of your minds, he says. We must give attention to our minds for growth and godliness. Guys, I don't know how else to say this, but if you set your, and in Colossians chapter 3, Paul encourages us to set our minds on the things above where Christ is. If the continual data input into your mind is things not of Christ, shows that don't promote Christ, words and languages that don't lead us to Christ, a, a, a nonstop stream of a social media feed that does not promote us and prompt us to go to Christ, news feeds, whether it be Fox or CNN or otherwise, if the constant inflow of our minds are set on things not of Christ, and the things that are of Christ, i.e. the Word of God, is somewhere in the back room, on the back shelf, never being input into our minds, there should be zero to little surprise that we're struggling to grow like Christ. Paul is saying this, we must give attention to our minds to grow in godliness. Sinful thoughts and desires are transformed as our minds are renewed by the cleansing agent of God's Word and the Spirit. The Spirit and the Word, friends. The Spirit and the Word. That is how our minds are renewed. Then that is how our hearts' affections become renewed. And out of the overflow of our heart, that is how our behavior will begin to change. So as our minds are renewed by the, spirit, the word and the spirit, guess what? The deceitful desires which corrupted our former manner of life, they can be put off. 
and praise God, the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness, true holiness, it can be put on. It can be put on. Some of us are struggling to believe that verse 24 right now. I don't know how to. I'm not quite sure Paul is telling me the truth when he says the new self can be put on because I struggle with it so much. That's where community and the Christian life comes in. That's where the word of God and the cleansing power of the word to change our minds and the overflow of the change of heart and the overflow into the change of behavior comes in. That's where Ephesians chapter 3, guys, if you get nothing out of this book of Ephesians study, bank on this. The prayer in Ephesians 3 to be strengthened by the power of the Spirit. It is smack dab in the middle of this, this book we know as Ephesians because it is so stinking crucial. Pray to the Spirit. I need your power to strengthen me to set my mind on the word so my mind is renewed, my heart is changed, and my behaviors radically begin to look more and more like Jesus. Pray, man, we rob ourselves of the power to walk the walk of purity when we don't pray for the strength of the Spirit to empower us to do the very thing that we're called to do. You guys get it question now is what? What does this look like in practice? Put off, says Paul. Put on, says Paul. Paul, can you sort of give us a clue as to what this putting on should look like? And he says, yeah, I can let you know. And what he does is almost as he turns around, he opens up the Christian's wardrobe, and what he does, and he pulls out five articles of Christian clothing. This is the kind of clothing that you need to be putting on, is what he's saying. It's not all the clothing, Five examples of what this clothing could look like. As you're putting off the old and putting on the new of Christ, here's the new clothing of Christ that we're called to put on. Verses 25 through 32, it's this theme of getting dressed and undressed. It's continuing forward. And what you need to know is that for the walk of purity... This putting off, putting on is so important to understand. Listen, growing in holiness is not just about saying no to sin. Notice this isn't just a big list of don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. He's going to say don't do this, do do this, and then he gives a reason why. You see, our motivations for not doing and doing are different from the world's. Our theology grounded in Christ is meant to lead to a practice to where people say, for instance, in verse 35, when you are at work, I never hear you telling a lie. Now, the world, someone in the world not in Christ can say, I don't want to tell lies just because, you know, it's just sort of good to tell the truth. And that's not bad, but notice that Paul says, listen, don't tell lies, do tell the truth. Why? Because you're members of the body of Christ. So notice how he's going to constantly circle back around to Jesus and the doctrines that center on Christ as the reasons why we don't do and do. Put off, put on, displace and replace, okay? It is so crucial to see this because, listen, there is no progress in holiness, no progress in holiness unless we put off what belongs to our old lifestyle and simultaneously put on what belongs to the new one. 
That is how holiness works. Paul knows this, and so he says, let me give you five pieces of Christian clothing to put on. The first one is this, replace lying with truth-telling. Replace lying with truth-telling. Verse 25, therefore, having put away falsehood, there's the lying, let each one of you speak the truth, there's truth-telling, with his neighbor. Who's the neighbor specifically in verse 25? We are members of one another. He's referencing the church here, okay? And calling us to be truth speakers, Paul is just simply picking up on the Old Testament promise of Zechariah 8 that says that God's new community is going to be marked by truth. Because our practice and our theology are to be tied together. You guys have seen this before, right? Someone who has a lot of theology but their life's a complete shambles. It's like, that's just not quite right. But then someone who is running after practice and striving after the practices of Christianity at large, but it's like, why do you do it? They're like, no, I don't know. It's like, well, I don't know if that's quite. Theology and practice are meant to be tied together. Paul gives specific reasons why we should put on and put off. In saying that we are members of the church or are members of one another, Paul's talking about the church. So listen here. So he says, as members of the one new body created in Christ, our speech is to be truth speech. Speaking truthfully about each other, so no more gossiping, and speaking the truth to each other. No more exaggeration, no more lying. False words hurt the body of Christ. It's truth that strengthens unity. For a stranger who doesn't know Delta or for an unbeliever to walk through our doors, what they should be able to say and do is this. Wow. In my work sphere, in my recreational sphere, in my neighborhood sphere, in my home sphere, it is not marked by a devotion to telling the truth. It is marked by a devotion to telling falsehood. But that is not true in this sphere. And we should then be able to say, well, let me tell you about the Lord Jesus Christ who has changed me and why I live in this way. It's because Ephesians 1 through 3 is true and I'm not who I used to be. Second, what's the second piece of clothing? Replace unrighteous anger with righteous anger. Unrighteous with righteous. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. So notice that it is right to be angry about some things. And Paul says as much. He says, be angry. Be angry. Now, some of you are like, sweet, man. Where's this Bible verse been my whole life, right? This is justification for my past X amount of years. It's like, well, not quite, right? There's a way to be angry that is righteous. Righteous anger can be described as a holy angry anger that is angry at what makes God angry. You see Christians being persecuted when evil is prevailing in the world, when injustice abounds. God's righteousness demands his anger over the perversion of the good and right ways he's created the world. We should be angry at this, just like God is angry at this. But listen, unfortunately, our anger is rarely aroused because God's goodness is being drugged through the dirt. I mean, how many of us can say, the reason why I was stoked with a righteous indignation yesterday is because God's fame and his name are being drugged through the dirt. I dare say none of us would raise our hands. But most of us could say, I did walk in unrighteous anger yesterday. And usually we walk in unrighteous anger, it's aroused because we're just simply not getting what we want. 
someone didn't bow down to the idol of my desire. And so I struck out at you in anger because you didn't yield to me. That would be unrighteous anger. This is why Paul says, do not sin in your anger. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. That is, fight to resolve anger quickly by looking to Jesus and thus robbing the devil of an opportunity to stir up division in the home, division in marriages, division in relationships, division in the neighborhoods, division in your workplaces. Third piece of clothing, replace stealing with generosity, verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Notice we are to put off thieving. We're not to be people who who steal. We're to give ourselves to working. You guys know the Ten Commandments. What's one of the commandments? You shall not steal. But that commandment is more than just simply not stealing, whether that's permanently borrowing tools from work, overcharging a client, claiming false expenses, avoiding taxes, being lazy at work, all forms of stealing. The command also implies the positive of doing honest work with your hands. So why? So you can be generous. You see what he says there? For the person who's tasted and seen that the Lord is good, work is good. But the motivation for work is now changed. I work not so I can amass mountains of cash to get I work as unto the Lord so that I can be open and be free to give. Hard work is no longer motivated by building my castle and stocking my coffers. The motivation to work is, brother, you have a need, sister, you have a need, neighbor, you have a need, coworker, you have a need, person on the corner street, you have a need. I've been working hard. God has supplied the resources. Let me give, let me give, let me give, let me give, let me give. The body of Christ will stand out as different if we're motivated in our work to work hard, not to get, but to give. Fourth piece of clothing, replace corrupt words with edifying words. Replace corrupt words with edifying words. Verses 29 and 30. Guys, this is a big one here. Pay attention. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. No corrupting talk come out of your mouths. What should be coming out of your mouths? Only such as is good for building up, as such that fits the occasion, so that you may give grace to those who hear. Why? Because you don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit, do you? So interesting there. Your words can grieve the Holy Spirit. You were sealed by this Holy Spirit for the day of redemption. Friends, listen to this, please. We live in an age where words are weaponized to wound. That is the sign of our times. The temperature of our cultural climate is one of corrupt talk out of mouths. That's just the cultural climate we live in. And as God's new community, Paul says this is not to be our defining feature. The word for corrupt is actually the word for rotten. Think of rotten fruit. See, far too many Christians sling the rotten fruit of vulgar jokes. They sling the rotten fruit of damaging gossip. 
They sling the rotten fruit of spiteful criticism every time they open their mouths, whether that is face-to-face, whether that is online through social media or otherwise. It's interesting that Paul says corrupt talk grieves the Holy Spirit. Having been sealed with the Spirit who lives in our hearts, we grieve Him when we speak words inconsistent with His nature. The adjective in front of the word Spirit means something. He's not the unholy Spirit. He's the Holy Spirit. We are signed and sealed with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1 verse 13. So when the Spirit who is holy living in us we begin to speak in unholy ways with corrupt, rotten words, vulgar jokes, biting criticism, snarky words that are tearing people down. Guess what you're doing? Your unholiness is grieving the Holy Spirit who lives within you. When was the last time that tempered your tongue? The last time that you were flinging off corrupt words out of your mouth. Listen, God's design is that our words would be grace-giving words of life like the Spirit. Listen, not life-robbing words of death like Satan. And in this way, satanic speech is spoken far too much among the saints in the church when corrupt words are coming out of our mouths. So a great question to ask yourself is this. Will what I'm about to say please the Spirit or grieve the Spirit? (laughs) You read it, I've seen it, you've all seen it, you're scrolling through Facebook, someone said something you don't like, you're about to say something. A lot of us have, praised God, not hit send on that thing, because the Holy Spirit's like, this looks like a grieving post to me. And so we're like, we reel back in those words. Some of us have said, I don't care, Holy Spirit. Send. And what has it done? It stirred up division. Lastly, what's the last piece of clothing? Hostility. Replace hostility with kindness. Look at this laundry list. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander. Put them away from you. Malice. Get it out of there. What should you put on? Kindness. Tenderheartedness. And check out this one here. Why? Should you forgive one another? Because God in Christ has forgiven you. God in Christ has forgiven you. How many times have I said in my heart, I can't forgive this person? Praise God that Jesus didn't operate that way toward me. If you could somehow plug into the back of my mind and flash up on there, what, 39 years of thoughts, heart actions, you guys would be appalled. But Jesus, knowing those things would come, didn't say, that guy's a dirtbag. Don't want to give him any forgiveness. Get out of here. No. That's not how he operated. I've received a mountain of forgiveness. An infinite sea of grace. An infinite sea that will never run dry for an infinite amount of infinities spent with Christ. And that drives me to say, you have offended me. I can and will strive to fight to walk in forgiveness toward you. Because God in Christ forgave me. Man, that little piece of Christian clothing there will go a long way today in our current cultural crisis. So here it is, friends, the walk of purity. It's laid out in one of the most practical sections to be found in the New Testament. 
And Paul is reminding us that a healthy church grows in maturity as it walks in what? Purity. Purity. So here's some questions for you. When you gaze into this passage like a mirror, here's the question I want you to wrestle with today. How are you dressed? How are you dressed? Are you clothed in the fashions of the world? Are you wearing the dirty clothes of darkened understanding marked by the the scum, the dirt of sensuality? Or are you clothed in the righteousness of Christ? And by the power of His Spirit, you're putting off the old and you're putting on the new. Putting off the old and putting on the new. You're not perfect at it, but you're, you're, you're moving in that direction. It is an action that marks you. Friends, your hope of righteousness with God this morning. In other words, your hope of right standing with God this morning. If you say, I am clothed with the fashions of the world. My life is not marked by putting off and putting on. I am wearing the dirty clothes of a darkened understanding, meaning I don't have life with God. You can know this. The Lord Jesus Christ loves to disrobe the dirt and put on the clean. He loves to transform calloused sinners. And you can be saved by him today. Some of us are saying, man, I'm clothed in the righteousness of Christ, but I'm struggling in the walk of purity, the walk of holiness. Guess what? Whether your hope of righteousness, whether it's the hope of holiness, It is both found in Christ alone. So my hope is that you will come to him in faith this morning, okay? Let's pray, guys. Jesus, we need you greatly. We need you every hour. Holy Spirit, we need to be strengthened by your power to walk this walk of purity. Some of us need our eyes open for the first time so that we can be initially clothed with the righteousness of Christ, our hope of salvation. Some of us need to be reminded, I have been cleansed in this way, and I do have a hope, and I need to continue to bank on that hope as I walk in the Word by the power of the Spirit. God, wherever we're at this morning, my hope is that we would respond in a way that is appropriate to our situation, knowing that Jesus does not turn away sinners who run to him. He just doesn't. God, help us to bank on that. Confessing our sin, trusting in the promise that when we come to you, confessing our sin, you will forgive us of our sin. It's in the name of Christ, I pray. Amen.